0: Hello, and welcome to the Girls Fuel podcast. My name is Haley. I'm a registered dietitian and nutrition coach here to help you along your health and fitness journey by providing evidence and experience based knowledge and full transparency. We have a jam packed episode for you today. So get your notepads out, coaches, get ready, especially to really nerd out with us. I am joined by a colleague and friend, Blake Grove, who is also a dietitian. And Blake, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself. Tell us your background and a little more about you.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm a registered and licensed dietitian. I currently reside in the state of Mississippi. That is also where I did my graduate studies at the University of Mississippi you know, hotty toddy, go Ole Miss, um, big, big fan of the football culture and everything down here. So I was, it was a blessing to be able to get into a coordinated program down here and have such an awesome education. Um, and now I, you know, use my education to focus more on functional health, functional nutrition, um, really trying to focus on a lot of the cases that slip through the cracks, I would say, of the medical system in general, focusing on a lot of gut health, autoimmune disease, immune system dysfunction in general, um, you know, food and to- food intolerance issues, thyroid issues, um, and as well as some like just endocrine stuff, as far as adrenals, hormones, et cetera, goes.
0: Awesome. And Blake is like a wealth of knowledge. Um, we first met because I took a course that he taught talking all about immune system regulation, and I've been noticing a huge disconnect kind of like Blake mentioned with people slipping through the cracks of the health system going five, 10 years with a multitude of symptoms from all different directions without any big answers to why. So Blake, can you give us a breakdown of immune system regulation and you know how you started using these tactics to help your clients?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a, that's a definitely a big overarching question which I'm sure we'll spill, we'll spin off on a few different tangents and topics in general, but the biggest thing that I was seeing is there's such a rise. And I, I don't want people to get the wrong impression that I think like Western medicine isn't doing the right thing or that they're the enemy. Um, it's it's there for a reason. Same thing with big pharma. It's there for a reason. We need medications. We need vaccines. We need all this stuff. But I just was noticing a trend in an in increase in immune system issues, mainly, mainly a big increase in, in gut health issues in general, as well as autoimmune disease. It's probably a tenfold increasing in these, you know, next coming years in general, as well as different cancer issues and such. And all of these things are interconnected as far as the immune system goes. And I was lucky enough to come across a few different mentors that taught me a lot about the TH1 immune system, the TH2 immune system, TH17 immune system issues. And basically the simplest way to look at your immune system is it's a teeter-totter. Um, and, you know, we want it to, it should be kind of level. You should have the same basically weight on each side of the scale, But certain things will tip you in either direction. So like, for example, say you get Epstein-Barr virus, it's going to tip you into a TH1 state. Say you get a candida infection, it's going to tip you into a TH2 state. And that's what your immune system should do. It should bounce back and forth, trying to fight off infections, fight off colds, viruses, et cetera. Um, And it should remember these things and have a proper response to those things. But it's when certain people's immune systems start getting stuck in a certain pathway, which drives them down a worsening of health spectrum, I guess you could say, as far as different underlying conditions and different underlying symptoms. Um, And it's trying to figure out where that person's immune system is at and shift them back to a better balance more than anything.
0: Definitely. And do you feel like a lot of understanding what side of the teeter-totter your clients are on is just taking that full assessment in the beginning? And do you want to talk about, you know, for the coaches that are listening, what does your assessment process look like if you don't mind sharing? And, you know, how do you really investigate the big picture of what's going on with your clients, because that is the biggest thing to take from this is it is a big picture. You know, we can't just keep picking at symptoms and looking for quick fixes for those symptoms. It's going to be a matter of understanding how to connect the dots.
1: Correct. Yeah. The, the biggest thing is building a timeline. I build a timeline with every person that comes into me. I do a free, you know, one, it's a one hour consultation starting off the bat. It's not a 30-minute conversation, it's not a 10-minute office visit, Um, it's an hour conversation going into very in-depth workings of their health history in general. I do try to have them send over any pertinent lab work that they might have from previous years to help decipher things in general if they've ever done stool testing you know any other types of immune system testing obviously all that stuff is is great to have um, but pretty much everybody that comes to me they're always blown away by the amount of questions that are asked on intake form and the collection of information just in general um, they say that it's more than any other doctors collected from them in general because we're really trying to dig back and figure out okay when did this start happening in general like when did you start having these symptoms occur like I literally just met with um a a new client yesterday and she she comes to me with thyroid issues epstein-barr virus issues all these things i'm like well when did this first start happening like when did this all fall into place like when did your gallbladder get removed when did you start having thyroid issues when did you start having when did you have epstein-barr virus you know what was your family life at home like did you grow up did you grow up getting sick a lot were you never sick at all Um, because there's all these different intricate symptoms that will lead you to know kind of where somebody's immune system is currently at and how we need to fix that.
0: Definitely. And I think you already kind of mentioned this, that a lot of these people are also having gut symptoms. They're having issues with digestion. You know, maybe we would also see co-infections like SIBO and H. pylori. And we know that the gut and the immune system are really closely linked, but do you want to talk about how closely linked they are? You know, what, what do you see with, you know, the gut and the immune system one of them or both of them being compromised and how that progresses for some people.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge topic right now. It's actually something I've been talking with some of my other colleagues and mentors about in general. And that's what I believe, and there is research to back a lot of this. What I believe is the main cause for such an increase in autoimmune disease conditions is um, what we would terminize as leaky gut, which I don't really know if I like that term so much. It's more so just, you know, gut lining dysfunction in general. And um, being able to have issues with absorbing nutrients, as well as having certain toxins leach into your blood system and causing an immune response in general. Um, but that is one of the leading causes, I feel like, why we're seeing such an increase in the auto, autoimmune disease population. Um, and it's a huge issue that's on the rise, even just as far as like the larger increases in IBS and irritable disease, Crohn's disease, all that stuff conglomeratively. Um, and a lot of it has to do with stress in general. You know, a lot of people are highly stressed out, especially after the uh, pandemic and everything that's happened, you know, the way that our whole society has changed, the financial changes in general, um, as well as just fundamental changes to our food quality and food sourcing. Um, We're seeing a really big change in our gut microbiomes, not only in the gut lining, but also in our gut bacteria side of things and, and mainly stomach acid. Um, in general, a lot of people come to me and are really lacking in stomach acid levels. Usually they're on proton pump inhibitors, which are automatically decreasing their stomach acid levels. And, and that's leading to a lot of nutrient deficiencies. But people also don't realize that your stomach acid helps fight off viruses and infections as well.
0: So And it's it's a matter of figuring out too, you know, is it the chicken or the egg? And something conversation I've had with multiple clients recently is you know, well, why do I keep getting sick? You know, why do I have this mold infection, but my husband who lives in the same house has no symptoms? Or why did I get a food poisoning when all of my friends ate the same thing? And it's unfortunate that this is the case for them, but I talk to them about, well, your immune system is clearly compromised. You know, you are the one who is slightly more susceptible to some of these infections. And I don't say this to scare you, just to, you know, build build awareness around, how supporting your body as a whole can really be that game changer.
1: Yeah. And I think a big piece that, you know, talking on like the mold topic, which is much more prevalent than what people think it is. And there's even research on the USDA um, website say, stating that a lot of our foods are much higher in mold essentially than they probably should be um, as far as mycotoxins go. So you're, you're getting you know, them in from multiple different ways But a lot of times it's when you're coming down to those issues with like, you know, why does this person have this and I don't or et cetera, is it obviously has lots to do with your genetics. You know, a lot of people have MTHFR and methylation issues and different things that affect their detoxification pathways and different things that affect their nutrient utilization. Um, But it also has a lot to do with like your upbringing. Like, okay, maybe you grew up in a moldy house and you had exposure to it early on, which was never addressed as you were growing up. And then you get into another environment that has a higher mold content. And now you're getting all these symptoms that are kind of rushing in, in general. And they're like, well, why do I feel this? And my husband doesn't. Well, it's because you grew up in a different environment. You have different genetics. Um, Even as far as, I mean, I see this all the time. And it's one thing I always ask every client that comes into me, but I'm like, did you grow up with trauma? Um, You know, I I tell everybody I'm not a licensed psychologist, therapist, et cetera, but i see it all the time where somebody grew up with, you know, sexual abuse, or they grew up with a traumatic event where they got in a car accident when they were younger, or they had their house burned down, or they lost a parent at a really young age. And it sets their, it pushes their immune system into a really unique spot and causes a lot of gut issues and immune system dysregulation and nutrient deficiencies. And even, I mean, you could even dive into it as far as eating disorder goes with different disorder eating patterns in general, um, which causes you know, other long-term issues, health-wise, hormone-wise, et cetera. So uh, it's, there's a lot of things that factor in. And that's why building that timeline and really digging back as, as early on as possible is what people can really remember is sets that foundation.
0: Definitely. And for those people that are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, like what can I do right now to, you know, keep this from happening, to keep myself healthy? What are some basics that you might start a client with if you suspect, you know, mild immune system dysregulation or even mild gut issues? Is there anything that you recommend kind of across the board?
1: Um, probably the easiest thing would be like trying to replenish minerals in general. So doing like trace minerals, you, you can do like a fulvic mineral, humic mineral product. Like I usually use a brand called Zemvelo for that. Um, they're based out of Colorado. They're an all natural company. Uh, liquid minerals in general. There's also trace minerals, um, like the concentrates drops by trace minerals. Those are a great product. A lot of people are very mineral deficient, mainly because of the soil eradication and soil turnover issues and modified foods and things like that. So being able to get your minerals up, I feel like is a really, really key process. Cause it, I mean, you see all these posts now about magnesium, like, oh, magnesium is important for this and that, and you know, six to 800 different Reaction, stretch your body, but it's not even just magnesium, it's all different kinds of minerals conglomeratively. So getting a, a good trace minerals product in, um, I really think a lot of people are B vitamin deficient in general. So getting in a good amount of like methylated B vitamins to help with liver detoxification, metabolism, adrenal processes in general. Um, and then as well as fat soluble vitamins. Um, so doing things, you know, vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin E and K. Um, to really help modulate that immune response and try to calm the immune response It's probably one of the best things overarching for most people. And then lastly, a good, you know, omega-3 product in general, a good EPA DHA product to help modulate that immune system as well as inflammation.
0: Those are those are great, you know, just base supports and kind of where I start with people as well. And then, like you kind of already mentioned, with stress and just overall lifestyle. That is something that, that we can't leave out here because there is so much just in your day-to-day, in your week-to-week, and over the course of your lifespan that can be adjusted to improve immune system regulation. And obviously, my clients and probably people on this podcast have heard my typical red flags for, hey, these are some things we need to change in a lot of a lot of humans, women especially. Blake, I'm curious what you see a lot in some of the, the big rocks you adjust with clients right off the bat.
1: Well, I mean, I've even had to take it to, I guess, the extreme side first. Like I've had clients come to me and I literally tell them, like, I think you're better off spending your money on a psychologist or therapist if you, if you haven't addressed that, you know, yet yourself, because you need to be able to move past those mental barriers in order to move forward on how you're feeling, how your body composition is looking, how your body's utilizing nutrients, all those things in general. So I think that's a fundamental piece is finding somebody that you can talk to, even if it's not a psychologist, even if it's a really good friend, a family member doing journaling, um, I'm i I'm a really big fan of, of meditation as well as just simply going out and getting a, a good quality walk-in every day and being able to just release tension in general. Um, but I, yeah, journaling, you know, meditating, I'm, I do a lot of meditation when I do red light therapy, which is another health topic we can definitely run off a tangent on in general, but just finding, there's a lot of different outlets out there. So finding a way to relieve your stress in general, and, and some of that might be hard conversations. It might be changing a job might be moving. Um, you might be leaving a bad relationship. Um, some of that stuff is the harder things to do. Those aren't, those are by any means, not the easy things to do, but they're necessary at times in general.
0: 100%. And kind of like you mentioned, we're not therapists. There's a lot that we'll talk to our clients about outside of just what they eat and what they do for exercise. But that is one thing to where, you know, if, your mental health is at a point where you can't implement, you can't take care of yourself. That is always going to be going to be top priority. Um, and I feel like nervous system regulation as a whole, like stress management is a big buzzy thing right now, too. Like everybody has a red light thing, which I definitely want to dive into. I could learn more about that personally, um, but I find there's often resistance. And yeah,
1: I guess the the, the biggest and easiest one that I, I should have mentioned first and foremost is just guided breathing. When you're coming from nervous system issues and even digestive issues, they've done clinical studies on literally having IBS patients that are in the middle of a flare up just sit and do guided breathing. And it decreases their symptoms by up to 75%, which is astronomical considering how debilitating some of these GI issues can be. Um, So really like, you know, downloading something as as simple as like apnea trainer, which costs you like a dollar to download and being able to sit for five or 10 minutes and just do guided breathing can be one of the biggest things ever, and and really just focusing on your breathing is one thing that I see a lot of people neglect. Um, like I've had people that have come to me that are like dentists, and they're sitting like working on patients, like they're really you know up close to them, and then they don't realize that they're holding their breath for half the day, and they're oxygen deprived, and they're wondering why they're getting headaches and GI issues and all that stuff. So really focusing on proper breathing patterns, and I guess what I to elaborate on that further is focusing on breathing in through your nose and out through your nose, or, or at least in through your nose and out through your mouth will be more optimal at really activating that dot, di- your diaphragm, which your diaphragm sits behind your GI tract. So that that's one of the main reasons why it helps out with GI issues and digestion and absorption is you're stimulating a lot more of those natural peristalsis movements throughout your GI tract uh, to help calm yourself down.
0: 100%. That's something that I have personally noticed a major difference with lately as well, with both my bowel movements and my sleep. I've struggled with sleep for the majority of my adult life. And that's a whole nother hour long podcast that we will not get into today. But that's something that I've been working on personally and with a lot of clients is just finding that happy medium between, okay, like you're adding something to your day, but how is it also filling your cup? Right? So we can talk, think about like habit stacking. So for me, thinking about like meditating, that is very overwhelming because I feel like it's so nuanced. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do. So something that I did start doing, um, this was recommended to me by a coach and fellow colleague as well, was while I was laying in bed, instead of having a tape that was on, that was a meditation, just doing some visualization. So visualizing something that doesn't cause stress. So I'll give you my example. One of the things that I'll visualize is my childhood home that is still where my dad lives and I've been there obviously a million times so it's super easy. So at first, you know, I would just be laying in bed as if I'm going to fall asleep, focusing on my breath in through the nose, usually at that point, also out through the nose and just visualizing what are the edges of the house look like? You know, you walk up the sidewalk and the the front steps what color is the door? You know, what does it look like when you open the door and walk in? And something so simple as that, and you can, you can visualize anything, you know, another one that I'll do is like a lake house that I went to a lot growing up and, you know, thinking about feeling the wind and seeing the water. And it does sound silly and it sounds kind of like voodoo, like woo. And that's how I felt at first. I was like, oh, this isn't going to work. This is silly. I'm just laying here thinking, but like I track my sleep on my Fitbit and my resting heart rate while sleeping significantly changed. It used to be quite elevated just because of stress and nervous system issues. And it was a flop. Like 80% used to be above resting. Now 80% is below resting when you, when I sleep, which is, which is what you want. And I've had other clients, you know, do similar practices with tapping is another one of them or doing like a sensory flow.
1: Yeah, or even just grounding in general. Like I was when, talk about like woo woo stuff. When I first started going through all my own health struggles my very first mentor and coach Derek, he said, I want you to just literally get in, you know, 60 minutes of walking outside per day. And I want you to do grounding and earthing. And I'm like, what is this guy? Like, what are you trying to tell me to do? I'm like, how is this going to help my GI issues? How's this going to help that? And I was fully bought into it. And it 100% helped. And, you know, I think one of the simplest things that a lot of people need to do, and I know, like, Dr. Huberman's talked a lot about this on his popular podcast is put your phone down. You know, just a lot of people are sitting there scrolling at night, they're looking at, um, just derogatory comments on social media and different things that are excitatory, you know, whether positive or negatively towards the system in general. Um, and just be, like putting your phone down and like read a book for twenty minutes instead, you know, like just stop, stop some of that stimulatory stuff in general that can also cause more internal stress and nervous system stress, and put it towards something like gaining more knowledge or reading something fun or etc. You know.
0: And you wouldn't think that it would make a huge difference because it's it's like, well, how much harm can scrolling? do, for example, or how much harm can, you know, staying up late and watching a show or playing a video game do. And and we've both seen it with ourselves and clients. And it really is that one thing that is such a like a light switch moment once somebody can get into that routine of breaking those habits, because it does become habitual, you know, playing that video game, scrolling on your phone, it gives us dopamine. So our body wants that. Our body wants to do it. Like I find myself all the time just picking up my phone and opening Instagram and I don't even realize I'm doing it. Right. Yeah,
1: or you do it to like respond to a message and then you're stuck on there for 20 minutes and you don't realize 20 minutes has gone by and you could have been responding to emails or doing something else in general too.
0: You know. And then I'm like, why did I even open this app? I could be cleaning something up, listening to music and trotting around the house. I could be petting a cat. So there are other things to do to, to spend some spare time than just, just scrolling. And it may not seem like a big deal, but it does fit into this immune regulation equation majorly. And kind of to bring us back to that topic a little bit more, you mentioned earlier that, you know, autoimmune conditions are are rising. I think we both see it with the kind of people that we get. And what, if anything, and this is a loaded question, I know, could be done to avoid or even come out of some of these autoimmune states?
1: Well, I think that we already touched on the number one thing would be stress management. Yep. More than anything. Um, stress management is by far the biggest thing in general, uh, more than anything, especially if you're dealing with like more gut gut lining related issues in general. And then obviously like the nutrient status side of things is the the next biggest thing. And then lastly, I would say just choosing lower inflammatory foods, um, which isn't the easiest thing to do these days. I mean, we're kind of lucky. We're kind of not, I mean, food is so prevalent, which is a big benefit for all of us. Um, and we have a lot more like healthy alternatives to be able to cook different healthy meals with across the boards, but it's also the high abundance of foods that can also get you in trouble. So just trying to eat a well balanced diet in general and eat healthy anti inflammatory foods, you know, eating higher omega three content foods and less omega six content foods and just balancing your diet more with healthy fruit and vegetables and um, good cuts of protein in general, like I, I like to have my clients focus on foods that digest well that are also nutrient dense in general. So salmon, you know, highly, um, high quality ground beef and ground bison in general, getting, um, high quality seafood in. I usually bird meat is okay. It's not my favorite. It's, it's a highly processed food in America, as far as a lot of hormones and additives and, um, quality control isn't the best in general, but, you know, really focusing on nutrient dense vegetables, fruits, like I'm a huge component of fruits because of the antioxidant content, but they're also for one tasty, they're satiating and they contain tons of nutrients more than almost anything in general. Um, and then just getting quality fat sources and more than anything.
0: For sure. And another thing is going to be making sure that you're eating enough, especially if your autoimmune condition is more thyroid oriented. So Hashimoto's, or even if you haven't reached autoimmune yet, and you have hypothyroidism spending time, not dieting. And I find a lot of the women that are dealing with some of these issues that we've spoken about may not be in a place where they're comfortable with their weight and, this is not me saying you shouldn't have a weight loss goal, but this is me saying that you might not be going about it the right way. And I'm actually giving a talk at my chiropractor's office, well, at an event, by the time this airs, it'll be that week, um, about how, you know, when we think about getting healthy, the first thing that I think comes to mind for most of us, and I even catch myself with this too, is like l- weight loss. I need to lose weight. That's getting healthy. But for a lot of people, that just makes the cycle so much worse because if your body is not healthy internally, and by internally, I mean literally everything your immune system, your gut, your mental health if those things are not taken care of first, you can try to lose weight and you might be able to, but you're probably going to feel worse or get yourself into that cycle of weight regain and not being able to sustain the weight that is lost. So that's where something that I hope we can start to change the narrative on is if you are looking to get healthy, Think about how you can support every system of your body before you actually push for weight loss. And I don't know about you, Blake, but I have clients all the time where we start with like a priming phase, as I call it, where, we're you know, reverse dieting to get calories up to a maintenance level or a comfortable level, depending on what the state of their gut health is, where we're addressing any immune symptom related issues that we suspect any, any autoimmune or vitamin mineral deficiencies and people lose weight. They lose inflammation, which is, I think, a big common thing. If you're listening to this and thinking you might have some immune or autoimmune related things, you probably feel inflamed and swollen a lot. And that's where jumping right into a deficit for a lot of people is going to make that worse.
1: Yeah, and I don't think people realize like, you know, getting those key nutrients in. I mean, the reason I started a lot of people on what I would call more of like a flush diet in general, because a lot of those metabolic processes happen in your liver. A lot of your thyroid conversions happen in your liver a lot of your thermogenesis from food it happens in your gut and your liver. So starting with, you know, healthy, easy digesting foods that are antioxidant dense are going to help improve all of those systems in general. And that's also kind of the reason about like the B vitamins and different minerals and kind of unlocking some of those, those metabolic codes, I guess, in general. Um, and, and the biggest thing, like, you know, you hear this big topic right now is, you know, semaglutide for weight loss and, oh, if I go on semaglutide, am I going to gain weight back and do I have to stand this forever? And people don't realize that. All of the, being able to have a healthy lifestyle and maintain that comes from lifestyle change, which lifestyle change is hard. And that's what I focus with on my clients. And I tell them right out of the gates, so I'm like, this probably isn't going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of things in your lifestyle that you're going to have to change. And you have to be able to find a way to do that that's maintainable. Because if you just go on, you know, a dieting phase or start doing fasting, and then you do that for a little while and you lose 20 pounds... And then you just kind of go back to doing what you're doing going back to drinking every weekend and doing these things. Like I can guarantee you, you're going to gain weight back. Like it doesn't matter what you do. Um, so starting starting with variables that you can change and you can focus on changing and trying to stay consistent with them. That's by far the biggest thing out of anything.
0: It's so valuable. And I also really encourage clients, even if you know they are having some issues and symptoms to focus on finding what balance means for them. And I know balance is like a super buzzy thing to say. But what I mean by that is, and I always tell my girls this, you know, unless you literally cannot go out to eat because the way your gut is or whatever it is, you know, you should still be doing things and eating things that you enjoy throughout the process. Lifestyle change doesn't mean restricting food. It doesn't mean saying no to everything, but it does mean setting boundaries and it does mean learning how to follow a balanced diet, including what for a lot of people, I like to think about it as like 80% whole foods that you know, are nourishing your body and like a 20%, you know, make room for fun, so long as it's not going to be detrimental to your symptoms.
1: Yeah, and I'm on, the, I'm on the same mindset that I like, and it's also even with GI cases, I don't like always in- encourage it when they're just having bad symptoms. But sometimes I do because I want to, I want to learn their body with them more. I'm like, I want to know, like, okay, if you went out to eat, what did you eat? Like, What kind of symptom did you get? Did you have loose stools? Did you have constipation? Um, Did you get a lot of bloating from it? How soon did that bloating occur? Were you running to the bathroom? Because that'll help us learn more about what potentially could be happening, especially if there isn't any testing that's been done yet in general. Um, So I think it's a good way to kind of test your body and also just enjoy normal life, I guess you could say overall and and once again we're lucky these days because I mean I could go to a pizza place and I could get a healthy meal even these days like I could get a salmon salad or a lot of these places have healthier options where you can still go out and enjoy company and enjoy friends and do these things and not choose foods that might be inflammatory towards your system in general obviously depending, depending on depending on where you live I mean I, like I said, I live in Mississippi, so we're a little bit, uh, not as good at those things as compared to like California and Florida and different places, but, um, it's definitely drastically improved from even a decade ago. So.
0: Yeah. And one, speaking of like foods and removing certain foods, I want your take on gluten. If somebody has an autoimmune condition or feels like they do with the state of inflammation, leaky gut and all of that, should they remove gluten?
1: Yeah. So once again, that this relates back to the gut lining. So the reason like some people do have celiac disease, which is a very more severe um, issue with gluten overall, but some people just have more of like a gluten sensitivity, which you can usually correct if you get, you know, the inflammation down in the gut, fix the gut barrier gap junctions in general, all of those things. Gluten definitely is more inflammatory. Um, For a lot of people, especially if you are somebody, there's a lot of research on if you do have thyroid conditions, especially Hashimoto's, that you do see quite a bit of reduction in antibodies when you are taking gluten out. But once again, that comes down to basically what's happening is those gluten-based particles, which it's actually more so the proteins in the gluten that are getting through the gut barrier and they're getting into the blood system and causing an immune reaction. You also see that a lot of times with like arthritis and stuff, where it'll cause a more aggressive flare-ups and things in general. So if you are in the middle of your journey with all those things, it definitely is smart to probably try to avoid those um, as best as you can. Obviously, not everybody can be perfect with that stuff, but once again, we are very lucky and fortunate that you can go to, a, a, to use a pizza shop for an example and get a gluten-free cauliflower crust and do these different types of things, gluten-free pasta. Um, so just trying to keep that stuff lower definitely can be very helpful.
0: Overall, that's how i feel as well and what i'll have clients do is pull it out when we're when we're dealing with some of these types of types of autoimmune conditions um and same i feel the same way about intolerances i mean i was intolerant to gluten for a very long time and didn't think that i'd ever be able to introduce it again after having you know SIBO and candida and parasites and all of this super fun stuff that if we go back to well why did that happen you know years of stress and all of that which we won't get into now but I was able to reintroduce it after about a year of having it out. Um, but even now, you know, having a celiac disease in my family very heavily as well, I will avoid gluten probably 80% of the time. But it is nice to to have that freedom. And that's what we hope to get a lot of clients to achieve. Because a lot of times food intolerances are just symptoms. They're not necessarily a long-term thing.
1: Yeah. And you can you, you can also like, if you know you're sensitive to it, Um, you can also take like gluten digest by like metagenics and try to dampen that response, which it's really similar. Like when people drink like lactate milk or they take like lactate capsules, if they're sensitive to dairy, it kind of just dampens that immune response, um, in general to those products. So there's a lot of helpful tips and tricks and different foods and sources that you can use to try to help regulate that. So you can live a more normal lifestyle if that is an issue for you.
0: Yeah. Different enzymes that we have access to are going to be super helpful, especially like the proteolytic ones for those people that are dealing with malabsorption of protein, which is something that I see a lot in people's labs or when we do assessments of stomach acid. So starting with an enzyme usually isn't going to be harmful for anybody in my opinion.
1: Yeah, no, definitely not harmful um, by any means, um, unless you're like, I guess, worried about quality control with certain depending on the quality of product you're buying, as far as it just being like, if it's going to help or not, or be efficacious, Um, which is a big topic in the world these days. But I mean, since we're talking about food sensitivities and and talking about it in conjunction with gut issues and autoimmune system issues is I would say the thing that I see most triggering for most people and that tend to help in most scenarios, if it is like gut lining related, like Crohn's disease and more of these inflammatory conditions is doing a lower histamine diet um, is a, a pretty key point that I have a lot of people focus on more than anything. Cause there there's a lot of histamines in foods that would be surprising to people. And then once they start seeing it and they connect the dots with their symptoms, they're like, Oh, that makes complete sense in general.
0: And at what point do you feel like somebody needs to go and get more advanced testing? Say, you know, you're seeing a lot of these, these leaky gut, maybe even histamine like symptoms, autoimmune symptoms, and you know, they're pulling out histamines, they're adding some supplements to support, but at what point do you think further testing is necessary? And I know it depends, but where do you usually go from there?
1: So, I mean, I don't think, I think testing is always a good idea. I mean, if you depend, I guess it really, for me, it depends on where your financial budget is at and what you're willing and wanting to do. And it, I mean, it's also like how fast you want to see improvements to an extent as well. Because I mean... The more is the sooner you can get a stool test result. The sooner we can see exactly like how bad is inflammation, how good is your good bacteria, how bad is your bad bacteria. Do you have you know a really aggressive leaky gut based off of zonulin levels? Um, the sooner we can see that, you're definitely going to be able to have a more targeted plan and approach and um, start improving that quicker. A lot of times, that's people can't afford to spend you know three or four hundred dollars, maybe even five hundred dollars on a stool test out of pocket. Um, so then that's where you kind of go the route of using some basic supplements, trying to do a little bit of elimination diet, get those things resolved. And I guess to answer your question more specifically, if you're going that direction um and you've done food eliminations, you started doing some basic stuff with enzymes, with um beta hydrochloride to improve stomach acid and et cetera, you're still seeing aggressive bloating and responses um, after a few months, then I would definitely be going towards a stool test um to start saving more on time and money even further. Because um, that's where you just have to balance the odds. It's like, okay, if I can afford this right now, it can potentially save me money down the road um, as far as trialing and erroring certain things. So,
0: and years of pain and distress. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So, it's, that's a very, it's a very person dependent question. Um, I usually will, and like I said, unless people have money to spend on it, I'll go ahead and do it pretty soon on starting with them. Otherwise I'm usually starting to just work the basics in general, as far as elimination and basic supplements go first. Um, if they're not improving, if they're still having really bad bloating, stools aren't improving, then I'm like, you probably should go this direction and test the stool.
0: Yeah, I do. I do kind of the same, the same approach with, with testing there. I think everyone can benefit from it. It's not super fun to do a stool test, Um
1: your gut microbiome is always changing too so like you might like i've had clients where they've done one and then they retest and it's like oh you have salmonella this time but it's like they get kind of worried i'm like well we can't really do anything about that it's just going to take time to treat and let the inflammation subside and like you'll see different bacteria happen or different changes happen even like if you go through a traumatic event like i've seen people's hormones or gut health completely change in the course of three to six months because they went under an extreme stressor or they traveled abroad or they did a radical change to their diet so um, that stuff's always going to be changing. It's always a good idea to see what your preferences are in general.
0: Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're having symptoms because, and I don't necessarily think we need to go into this here, but there are certain infections that certain attempts to feel better can make them worse. So that's where it is always just safer to really know what is going on before you dump a lot of different approaches on your body. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's why the basic, you know, basic things like removing gluten, trying to decrease dairy, at least processed dairy, trying to do uh, higher antioxidant food, starting with that stuff. Because some of that stuff, like the reason your good bacteria is so important is it helps your immune system because it's helping crowd out bad bacteria. Um, so if you see how that stuff goes first then, and it's improving, then kind of keep on that direction. Of course, if not, then you may need to change gears.
0: Same with that stomach acid component too, if we see that that is low, simply raising that, well, not simply, but raising that can, can be a game changer for overall immune system health. Because like Blake mentioned earlier, it is a key component in fighting off infections that are coming at your gut.
1: Well, I'm kind of going to your point, like you could potentially, if, if you didn't do testing and you start adding in B-10 hydrochloride and start increasing stomach acid, but yet you have H pylori then you might get worse nausea, you know, worse like potential for ulcers forming or something like that. So that's where that stuff can kind of come in handy and help you quicker at the same time.
0: I'll almost never add HCL without a GI map. I'll do the baking soda burp test, assess stomach levels and use some more like basic stuff, apple cider vinegar, digestive bitters and bitter foods and things like that before. I'll add HCL unless the client really wants to, but then I'll be transparent with them. I'll be like, hey, if this makes things worse, we know that something is going on. So let's, I think
1: that's the biggest thing. And I've even heard it. My, my clients tell me that it's like, like, you know, you got to prepare them for the good and the bad and what could happen. And that's why like, it takes years and years of experience of doing this stuff. And especially when you've been through it yourself, it's your, it's much easier to guide people through certain protocols and kind of give them an idea of what could happen, what might get better or might get worse and how to manage that. Um, and, and let, you know, more than anything, like people will go like, They'll, they'll, be having symptoms for a week. and I'm like, well, why didn't you, why don't you send me an email and tell me something was happening, you know, sooner so we could, you know, change this uh, in general, but.
0: Oh my God. Yes. Especially when I have somebody new starting, um, I'll be like, can you please message me every single day? And if you had a symptom, tell me what you did before that. Or if we start a kill off, like start your supplements, tell me how you felt, like fill me in obviously, we don't want them to be driving themselves crazy over analyzing everything. But that's part of why we're here to help you understand, you know, what's going on in your body and build awareness around what your normal is and what what it isn't. Um, And Blake, before we kind of wrap up here, I tell me more about this red light therapy. How are you using it? What benefits are you seeing with your clients with yourself? Research? Yeah,
1: So I mean, if you're if you're trying to research it, it's technically called photobiomodulation. In general, Um, there's tons of research on it. It's probably one of the most research topics that I found, believe it or not. Um there's a really good simple website that you can read called if you look it up on selfhack.com. Um he's got a self hack is a website that's ran by a researcher who went through a lot of his own health issues. Um so he puts up certain talks about certain topics and collects abundances of research on said topic. Like I think his red light therapy one has like 90 references um as far as like different things it helps with in general and The reason why red light therapy is probably my favorite anti-aging longevity, I guess, type product you could possibly use because of the reason that it's it's targeting your cell, cellular health in general. So it's reaching beneath your skin down to the cellular level and recharging your cells, which like, you know, we've heard like your mitochondria is your powerhouse of your cells and all that stuff. So you're basically recharging all of that, which is going to help with an abundance of different issues as far as. Of mental acuity goes as far as muscle recoverability as far as back and neck pain arthritis issues hormonal issues leaky gut issues uh, all kinds you know vision issues neuropathy vasculitis issues um, it's it's a really broad spectrum thing I, I have a lot of clients use it that have mold and mycotoxin issues where i'll pair it with like methylene blue um, in general which is another long tangent that we could do a whole podcast on in general but um it's a little bit expensive if you're looking into buying your own panel like i've had my own panel for the past four or five years um and you can get you can start off with like smaller panels that are a little bit cheaper like i think probably the smallest one that i've seen is like 250 dollars 300 dollars um or you could get like multiple panels and build like a whole entire room if you wanted to out of it depending on once again what your budget is like we're also fortunate that even places like um Planet Fitness are starting to include red light therapy beds and such. And uh, if you go to like, if you have a local like stretch lab, cryotherapy place in general, a lot of times they'll have a red light therapy room. Um, There's places called Hot Works that are popping up, which is a small franchise that actually started in Oxford, Mississippi, believe it or not. Um, They do uh, red light therapy saunas um, in general. So you can go and get, you know, a good sweat on, get a sauna um, session in as well as getting your photobiomodulation at the same time. So um, it's, it's a really, really awesome, interesting thing. It helps with an abundance of different issues. And really there's very, very little to no harm in it. And unless you have maybe some specific types of like skin cancer potentially, um, that that's really the only thing that I've seen potentially some negative research on um, like potentially melanoma based stuff in general, but pretty much everything else it's amazingly helpful for.
0: Definitely. I've, I've looked into a couple of local places here in Tampa that, that have, that have like the room that you can go in, or I've seen people have like the mask that you put on or even like, like I have a happy light here, which is just like the UV um, that they have little, little ones that you can put on your desk to, to start off with and even just spending like five to 10 minutes a day with it is going to be. Yeah. And
1: that's the, that's the biggest thing with it. And that's the, the, that researcher, um, I think his name's Joe Cohen, uh, that runs that self-hacked website. He talks about that on there is like, what it's doing is it's, it's, uh, creating a process called hormesis, which hormesis, uh, the easiest way to to understand hormesis is via exercise. So it's like you go to the gym to exercise, to improve your health. But if you went to the gym for four or five hours a day, you'd probably be causing stress on your body. Over, too much stress that your body couldn't overcome. And red light therapy is basically the same thing as it's stimulating hormesis. So you don't want to sit and sit in front of it all day or anything like that. Um, you want to start with like two or three minutes a day and then work up to four minutes and work up to five minutes. And usually, uh, 10 minutes is a sweet spot for a lot of people. Um, I have seen some people do up to like 20 minutes, but everybody's body's drastically different. And you even, you even have to play around with the time of day that you do it. I have I literally have a couple that I work with, a husband and wife, and they have their own related therapy panel. And the, the wife does it before bed because it actually helps her sleep. And she gets like, she saw a, dr- a dramatic increase in HRV, her resting heart rate dropped by like 15 points, uh, her sleep improved phenomenally well, but then her husband tried doing it before bed and he had horrible sleep, horrible recovery, et cetera. So we found out that he needed to move it to the morning time because it actually makes him more energized. Um, so you have to play around with with the timing and um, really titrate it towards your body in general.
0: That is super interesting. Have they started using that in cancer research yet?
1: There is there is research on it in cancer in general. The, I work with a, a cancer patient right now with brain cancer, and he actually has a, he went out and spent the money on a red light therapy helmet. Wow. Um. So it's actually a full blown helmet system to help with brain cancers in general and different neural based issues overall. Um, and there is a, quite a bit of research on it overall. Um, And there is research on using methylene blue and red light therapy for different types of cancer issues and different types of, even uh, there's uh, what, speaking of Austin, him and I talked about that as far as uh, Epstein-Barr virus goes and different viral issues in general.
0: And I know you, before we started recording, you were talking about, you know, a cancer client that you had where, you know, some of this immune system support was, was really key in helping them along with what their doctor was doing. Do you want to share a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a touchy topic in general, but there is a cancer is an immune system issue. It's it's an inflammatory issue and an immune system issue. So the biggest things you're combating there are once again, inflammation and trying to balance your immune response out. Majority of cancers are what you would call falling into that TH2 immune system category. So a lot of times you're trying to shift their immune system back towards the TH1 side of things. But yeah, it's it's a very advanced cancer case. It's a terminal cancer case where they literally said, you know, you have 12 months to live. There's nothing more we can do for you your cancer is inoperable, um, you can't do any more radiation. So it's literally like you have chemo and if chemo doesn't work, that's all you, that's a, that's all you can do. Um, and they didn't, they didn't want to hear that, you know, in general, like they, they started doing more research on their own. They're lucky enough to have really knowledgeable children that were doing research in general, they were lucky enough to have a, a naturopath in the area. And, um, cancer is definitely reversible. Um, As long as you're taking the right steps, doing proper dietary approaches, which there is a lot of research on doing different types of keto diets, carnivore diets, um, antioxidant rich diets in general, um, as well as doing things like red light therapy, different medication routes, um, as well as different, obviously supplements, herbs, um, essential oils, all those things. So we've incorporated a lot of different things and it's been phenomenal to see um, a stage four terminal glioblastoma be able to be start shrinking in general. So. that is
0: incredible and it's it's cool how the collaboration of care is happening for that person but i feel like once we get into these more complex cases the collaboration of care is super necessary between us as dietitians and our clients doctors even at, with our clients therapists i've talked to before as well and just well, yeah, sure.
1: yeah, they they have a, a really good oncologist and nurse practitioner their nurse practitioner was like you know they're like what else can we do and the nurse practitioner is like well this is all that we can do she definitely, she encouraged to look more towards functional routes. She said, there's a lot of other, you know, things that you can look into. Um, so it's being able to have that encouragement where it's, you know, we were tar- talking about these types of cases. Like, I don't, I don't tend to market these types of things because a lot of oncologists are, they can be closed-minded on this stuff um, and think that you're almost doing a disservice to yourself, but uh, it's, there's, there's lots of reputable research on it and it very much can help um, in general.
0: I mean, it makes, it makes perfect sense I think when we talk about it and when we think about it as everything being connected, you know, the immune system is like the root of all systems in your body and everything assists with one another and fuels one another. And, you know, one disconnect can lead to another. So that's where by understanding this, you know, holistic functional and whole body approach is going to be really, really important for those that are struggling and for coaches that are trying to help their clients.
1: Well, I think we need to explore all of these things. I mean, the cancer rates are astronomical right now. Like they say within the next two years, you're going to have one in every two people will probably have cancer. Um, And that's just, I mean, one of us sitting here will have cancer, a cancer diagnosis of some sort. That's that's what they're projecting. So like we have to start figuring out what we can change to start combating this. Otherwise, it's going to be the downfall and demise of all of us in general. So it's trying to think ahead more than anything.
0: It is, yes. And on that morbid note, I'm just kidding. That is good. Spreading awareness. Um, if any of you listening, you know, have questions about all of this, Blake is a wealth of knowledge. I will drop his Instagram in the show notes. But Blake, how else can they connect with you?
1: Yeah, the easiest way is definitely Instagram. I'm, I'm definitely most, uh, I respond most easily to Instagram in general. I do uh, have an email at my body. It's called bodiesbyblakecoaching at gmail.com. So if you want to reach out to me via email, that is great. Instagram is great. Um, And I can also uh, send over a Calendly link if anybody's open to doing a consultation or wanting to discuss things further.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Blake, for coming on and dropping some knowledge on us today. And thank you for hanging out with us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.